0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Highway to Hoover podcast. I am your host, Joe Healy, joined, as always, by a podcast co-host and partner over at SEC Extra, Mark Etheridge. We are continuing our series of SEC Team Preview podcasts, and today we are going to talk about the Tennessee Volunteers and, boy, talk about a program that's had a lot to talk about the last couple of years. We certainly have a lot to talk about moving forward with this Tennessee team, one of the more interesting teams to look forward to in 2023. So we will get into that here momentarily. But before we do that, I'm excited to tell you that the Highway to Hoover podcast all season will be presented by Brock's Gap Brewing Company in Hoover, Alabama. Mark and I and the rest of the D1 team are super excited about our partnership with Brock's Gap Brewing. Got some fun things coming down the pike here with those folks over there. Nothing to announce just yet, but will be soon. So stay tuned for all that. But suffice it to say, we're really excited that they are on board with us. Can't miss Brock Scat Brewing if you're out at the Hoover Met. It's right there in the parking lot of the Hoover Met, a beautiful tap room they have out there. And uh, a source close to Highway to Hoover, let's call it that, a source close to Highway to Hoover and SEC Extra has given an extremely positive review of Brocks Gap Brewing Company, someone who is local to the area, went and did some reconnaissance work, I guess you could say, and gave it a two thumbs up review. So that is all good. And We expected nothing but that kind of review for the folks over there at Brocks Gap. So anyway, excited about that partnership, more to announce with them coming soon. So uh, Mark, like I said, Tennessee, I mean, as buzzy a program as there's been in college baseball, there's obviously the on-field results where this is a program that went from just really being mired in mediocrity for a number of years to pretty quick success under Tony Vitello to being last year just a juggernaut in the regular season. There's also the story of the way they went about it, the gusto, for lack of a better way of putting it, that they showed in the way they played, the intensity in the way they played, and the storyline of the way it ended, right? Which is that the team that looked as sure a thing to get to Omaha and maybe break that curse of being the number one overall seed in the field of 64, winning a national title. And it, of course, just didn't happen. Got taken down by a veteran Notre Dame team and Super Regionals and was unsatisfying ending, certainly for Tennessee fans. And so now they move move on from that. But Mark, I don't know if i let you chime in here on just what you make as someone who has observed this league for as long as you have just the rise of Tennessee and, and what a ride that's been over the last several years.
1: Yeah, stop. It's really hard to break through, right? When you've been that program that struggled over the years, I have not. To break through and not only do it one year, because some teams have done it one year, but to be able to do it consistently, and this is going to be year number three, and I don't see it really waning at this point, they're, they're, they are set up for success, both From a program standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, and the ability to bring in talent—that's the difference. Because it's no accident when you look at this roster. While they're winning, look at all of these elite arms, bats, good defensive players, depth throughout the lineup, through through the staff. Really, everything that you need to be successful, they've got. And now. The fans have caught on, and that is a tough place to play. That They really get on the visitors, and it's a home-field advantage. And when you've got all those things in your favor, it's really hard to pick against them at this point. Then you mentioned some of the, the polarizing nature of their team. and One of the things that was so intriguing for me last year is how they took on that villain role and how other people around the country would tune in to pull against them. Right, like they're the Yankees or, or Darth Vader or whoever. Right, and that was really cool for our sport. Just it's, it just gave a, one more draw, right I, into the into SEC baseball or college baseball in general. And it's going to be interesting because every team is different, right? And that's what we're going to talk about in these things. From year to year, it's different. As we go through this podcast, we're going to talk about some of the things to look at this year compared to what we saw a year ago.
0: Yeah, a lot of good. I agree on a lot of what you said there, right down to, I've been to Lindsay Nelson Stadium quite a bit in the last couple of years, just given how good the program has been. And I think the fact, look, they do need a bigger, better facility. They have clearly outgrown that facility and the facility is dated as it is. Even if they weren't going to expand it, they would need to update it, but they also need to expand it. So obviously they're not going to give that up. But what I will say is the fact that facility is what it is, I think actually adds to the atmosphere. It does give a perception that a lot of those fans are right on top of you on the field. And in some cases they are. It's one of those facilities where the fans behind the dugout can walk on top of the dugout because it's on ground level. And so the fans are like right up on the nets and it really does give you, it's almost like like a European or South American soccer situation in terms of being on top of the field And so they're just great atmospheres. They absolutely are. And that's an advantage. And I wonder the new facility, which is of course still sometime down the line, you just wonder how much of that will, will be able to translate over. The other thing I will say is that, uh, I mean, look, I, and I've said this before, but I'll say it here just because we will have Tennessee fans listening and they might be interested to hear it, but I've said on podcasts before and because I get asked a lot about my viewpoints on Tennessee and what that program was last year and the way they carried themselves. And Not all of it was a great look. I didn't love all of it. There were times where it was some things I was like, okay, that's a little much. Like maybe maybe that was that stepped over the line a little bit. But I think a lot of teams have situations like that crop up. But my big picture takeaway is that I have a hard time being overly critical in a situation where the players so clearly take up for their coach and the players all ride for Tony. And in a way that is extremely genuine because I've covered the team so much the last couple of years, I've talked to a lot of those players even in one-on-one settings. And it's not just the players who are the intense in your face kind of guys on the roster that feel that way about Tony. I've talked to some of the guys who are not those guys, some of the quietest guys in the roster, some of the most unassuming guys in the roster. And they all say the same things about Tony Vitello. And so were there some things that happened that I rolled my eyes at or thought, okay, that wasn't the best look. Absolutely. But at the same time, the players love him. And and that feels mutual. He clearly cares about his players. And so it's going to be hard for me in a world where you don't always get warm fuzzies about from the players towards their coach and vice versa. And so anytime I hear that kind of stuff, I'm going to be a little bit hesitant to be overly critical of that arrangement in that situation. So that's that's where I'm at. And I agree with you that generally it's good for college baseball. Having that kind of villain It was just it was a fun ride. It really was.
1: You want fans to care. And yeah. sometimes, sometimes there are different ways to reach yeah. that
0: That's right. That's exactly right. Okay, without further ado, let's talk a little bit about this 2023 team. And if you're just joining us in this preview series, or if you're a fan just hopping in for this one episode, here's generally how it works. After a quick introduction here, Mark and I will take turns telling you what we like about this team, the questions we have about this team, and then finally, the things the team will have to do to be the best version of itself in 2023. Mark, I will let you hit lead off on this one. Yeah. Tell me what you like about the Vols. This is
1: pretty obvious. So you set me up on a T here. Is this the best returning rotation? Certainly in a long time. It is. They're proven. And because of the Tidwell had the injury last year, these were the guys for the bulk of the year. Um, they combined for, I've got it here, 43 starts. And between the three of them went 26 and three. Okay, You don't have that kind of returning production. You just don't. It, this is a sport where the best guys go pro. And they've got three of these guys back. There's a lot to like with the Balls team, and I'll let you have the rest of it, but it all starts on the mound. If these guys stay healthy, that's a scary reputation.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's such an advantage when you, you have freshmen as good as Burns and Beam were last year. It's almost like a cheat code because you go into knowing that unless they they end up being draft eligible as underclassmen, you end up knowing that, Hey, we've got two more years of these guys the, and there's still probably development to come, which is a scary proposition. But so I'm with you. I will add just that you've got Dolander, you've got Burns, you've got beam. You've also got Xander Seacrist as their midweek guy who was excellent in that role last year. You've got Camden Sewell, who would start for, would start on the weekend for 290 college baseball programs, conservatively. He's just a guy who he's on one of the handful of teams where he there's no room for him on the weekend rotation. So it goes beyond just those three. And so if they end up with a Tidwell-like situation at some point during the season, they've got other options, obviously. I will also add that I like the look of this lineup, even though it's kind of rebuilt. Every time I go back and look at their stat page, I have I remind myself how much they lost. This is not a lineup in, in almost any other situation throughout the history of college baseball you would not be confident in what Tennessee brings back in the lineup based on what they lost they just lost so much you know we could go through the list of names here but it's most of the guys that you remember from last year are just not there anymore Jordan Beck and Gerald Ortega and Gilbert and Russell and on in most situations that spells trouble or at least that there's going to be some growing pains but I'm not Mm -hmm. convinced that'll be the case here when you consider Blake Burke will be a full-time player Christian Moore will be a full-time player. Those are two guys that just didn't have, there wasn't, there weren't enough at-bats to go around for the, for those guys to be full-time players, and they still had incredible years. Jared Dickey's going to be healthy. They brought in Malia Huna, Griffin Merritt, Zane Denton from the Transfer Portal. All those three guys are, all, those guys are ready to be plug-and-play guys in the lineup, and this is also a development program in some ways. This is, to me, what should be really scary about this program from the standpoint of the rest of the sec is that if they're going to recruit high-end players and they, they continue to do so clearly with the way look at their freshman class from last year and how they performed if they're going to use the transfer portal the way they have they brought in an excellent recruiting class that is among the best not named lsu in the country this year and also you have a situation last year where trey lipscomb goes from role player to superstar and it remains to be seen If someone ends up doing that again this year, but there's a lot of buzz about Kyle Booker in the outfield being that kind of guy. So if they're going to recruit transfer portal and develop the way that they've shown they can, what are you going to do? Like that's just a juggernaut apparatus there. So I like this lineup. It's like I said, it should be a situation where we don't feel great about this lineup. And yet, because of what they have coming back and what they brought in, I actually feel pretty confident about that group. Let's move on to questions we have. Mark, go ahead.
1: Yeah. The concern, I guess, with this team is, you know, it's not just the lost production, but it's that team played with an edge. So what will the identity be for this year's roster? You have a lot to live up to just from the on the field stuff. Do you try to be something that maybe you're not, that you're not comfortable being and try to be Darth Vader again, right? Or is it more of a Let's organically choose what we want to be and not try to be last year's team. I think that's what I want to see, and that's the concern. Not, maybe "concerns" too strong a word, but that's the question heading into the season. Is okay? You lost some veterans. You lost guys that that knew what they were doing. More productive, I guess. The on the field thing that I would be a little uh, that I would have a con- a concern about would be catcher, offensive catcher. Dickey, you could put Dickey there, but you got Charlie Taylor, who's a great defender, but he hasn't proven him prove himself with the bat. Where do they go there? I think that's something that, you know, that's a question that, that they'll have to answer as the season goes on.
0: I think it's a good one. Catcher is an interesting position battle. Obviously we know that the pickle they were in last year that led to them putting Evan Russell back there. So that kind of remains to be a question. I also, the back of the bullpen, they're going to be leaning on Andrew Lindsay. Whether it's closing games or just a high leverage role, he's a guy who sat didn't play last year, the year before, pitched at Charlotte, was in Charlotte's rotation, and he was good, not great, I would say. And His stuff was really good in the fall. The reports on him have been really positive, so that's all good, but he's going to be doing it in the SEC, which he's never done, and he's going to be doing it as a back-end bullpen piece, which is something he's never really done. So that's a question. Jacob Bimby is a JUCO guy they're bringing into, into the bullpen Obviously, Camden Sewell will be a part of that mix, at least to start in the, to start off in the bullpen. So they've got pieces there, but they did lose some guys in that regard as well. And the bullpen is a tricky thing, right? I mean, that they were really successful in that regard last year. So it's a high bar for this group to clear to be as good as that group was. And we'll see if they can pull it off. And that's a nitpick. But Tennessee is one of these teams, much like in our LSU episode, just one of those teams that In order to have
1: questions, you have to nitpick a little bit, and that's what we end up doing here.
0: Okay, let's wrap up, Mark. What do you think needs to happen for this team to be the best version of it? It starts
1: on the mound. The big three need to stay healthy. They need to be able to stay focused and pitch like they did a year ago. They do that. This will be a really good version of Tennessee. I think the other part is there are going to be games where those guys don't dominate. They're humans. So what happens in those games? Or is the bullpen going to be able to step forward and pick them up? Does the offense break through in those games? It's a team game. You have to complement each other. And a lot of times when you've had that elite starting pitching, there's a tendency to kind of relax offensively and maybe not be as, as as potent as you could be because you don't have to be. And I think in order for them to win those final games and have the, the last dog pile. They're going to be able to have that. The whole team effort is going to have to come in there. And after the way things ended last year, you got to think that the returning guys are really focused. And in order to do that, you can't win in June when it's March or February. You've got to focus on the day to day. And to get there, you got to improve and get better. And I think that's the challenge of trying to win a championship and you haven't started the season yet.
0: It's a great point because there's a scenario where you can see this team that is replacing a lot on paper. We've talked about that quite a bit. Coming in and just assuming that this is easy. Mm-hmm. Things in the regular season came pretty easy for that team last year. Like well. early and often, they were great from the beginning and never really stopped being great until they ran into Notre Dame and they had a bad weekend. So the way the season ended maybe mitigates mitigate some of this because they understand that inherently. But you can understand also how players moving up into these roles would be led to believe through no fault of anyone's just human nature to be like, this is easy. We're really talented. And we saw what last year's team did and we'll just pick up where they left off. And it's just not that easy. And it does require you to be focused on the day to day. And maybe that's the piece where you look and realize that, hey, that was a pretty veteran team last year in a lot of places. And this team is not quite that. So that certainly is an interesting little bit of a storyline there to follow. I think for me, the thing is, these part-time players, we talked about Dickey, which his was injury-related so much that he was getting squeezed, but he missed time. And then Burke and Moore were part-time players just by virtue of getting squeezed. Those guys need to be full-time superstars for this team to be as good as it can be. And you can poke holes a little bit here and there. I, Moore and Burke swung and missed a decent amount. Moore in particular also drew a ton of walks, so that maybe that's just part of his approach where he's going to strike out some, he's going to walk some, but they all, they had fairly high swing and miss rates. So over a full season, do they get exposed a little bit more on that? So there are some questions there, but this group to be as good as it can be, it's going to come down to the lineup for those guys who produced like superstars and small samples to do it mm-hmm. over large samples, because the depth in the lineup is good, but yeah. you do need players to centerpiece the whole thing and anchor the whole thing. And so I, that's going to come down to me to Burke more Dickey that group of guys certainly an interesting team in 2023 i'm fascinated by them the big picture stuff of the trajectory coming off of last year and the small picture of this team like we've talked about rebuilding on the fly so we will be eagerly watching to see how the vols perform in 2023 that is going to do it for this episode of the highway to hoover podcast presented by brock's gap brewing company thank you for listening we'll talk to you soon